Welcome to Sharp Talk, the regular podcast of eSharp magazine. Go to eSharp.eu for free access to all the podcasts to date. Uh, this is Paul Adamson, and I'm in conversation with Charles Rees. Charles Rees is a Vice President of International of Rand Corporation. Um, Charlie, full disclosure at the beginning, I'm, as you know, a member of the Council of Advisors of Rand Europe, uh, so people need to know that before we start. Um, Rand has just published a study called After Brexit, Alternate Forms of Brexit and Their Implications for the United Kingdom, the European Union and the United States. So first things first, Charlie, why did you do this research? Well, after the referendum in the summer of 2016, uh, we were sitting around. We, we have an annual competition in which Rand has a limited pot of money of its own money that it uses to support research where we don't have a sponsor. And uh, I and some of my colleagues thought that this is the most consequential economic development uh, it, for many decades uh, in that the UK is proposing to leave the EU. And we thought it merited some objective analysis, and particularly given the fact that there has been a lot of analysis of it before, economic analysis of the idea of leaving the EU before the referendum, that after the referendum, when the sort of the, the, the range of ways in which the UK should, could structure its relationships with the EU and the rest of the world, might be a good time to look at this in a systematic way. Also, we thought we could do an objective job and we could look at the Brexit options also factoring in the United States. Well, could we briefly go through the scenarios you sketched out, starting mm -hmm. with the WTO option? Yeah, we decided that we were that that, that we were assuming that the United Kingdom leaves the uh, the the EU. So we we weren't comparing things to continued membership. The decision had been made. We weren't seeking to relitigate that. So we made the base case basically a no deal case. That is to say, the UK trades with the EU and the United States and everyone else on the basis of WTO rules. This is simply the fact that if there are no new arrangements made for the UK to either succeed to the free trade agreements and other trade arrangements that the EU has with other countries, uh, or a new arrangement between the EU and the UK, the UK will be stuck with trading on the basis only of the WTO disciplines. And so that's their base case. So to compare with that, that's the base case, and that's not very good for the UK. Uh, then we constructed a number of cases, uh, a free trade agreement between the UK and the EU. This is what the UK says it seeks. So that was, if you will, the first uh, scenario to look at compared to the no deal uh, scenario. Then we also looked at the idea of a UK-US FTA, which is the uh, also something that the UK has said, and Liam Fox has been to Washington a couple of times to talk about. It, of course, can't be done until the departure of the UK actually leaves the EU, but once it has freedom to negotiate new deals, it claims that the United States would be one of its first priorities. We also looked at the idea of a trilateral, that is a US UK and EU agreement to govern trade across the Atlantic, which might be called TTIP 2.0. TTIP right. is the Transatlantic um, uh, uh, Trade and Investment Partnership, which was frozen at the end of uh, last year, but it is still a concept. 
And then we looked at transitional arrangements, possible Norway, a possible Swiss type uh, arrangement, and a possible customs union that Turkey has with the EU. Those are the full range of the eight scenarios. Okay, you're, you're a former trade negotiator for the US government uh, not so long ago. As you know, the supporters of the, of the Leave camp still think that the WTO option is a perfectly valid route to take. Can you sketch out briefly what are the major problems with going down the WTO route from the UK point of view? Well, I think a, a good way to think about this is roughly half of the UK's trade in goods and uh, a substantial portion, probably more than half of its trade in services uh, are with the EU. So you, you take um, uh, a, a, a customer, essentially half of your trade, and y right now it's subjected to no barriers whatsoever. There's a single market, there are no customs checks, the, everyone applies the same standards. And you put that in a new world in which you apply tariffs to all that trade and you have to have uh, customs certifications, meet rules of origin requirements, uh, and possibly over time introduce the prospect of changing regulations um, that the UK says that it wants. It wants freedom from EU regulations. So all of those things are additional costs on trade. And just like if you took some activity and taxed the hell out of it, you're going to have less of it. And so it stands to reason that the WTO rules no deal scenario for the UK is going to be worse off for the UK than uh, its present circumstances. The rest of the world trade uh, that the, the UK has, it will lose also in modest proportion because it benefits from participation in the EU's trade agreements with other countries like Korea and, and Canada. Uh, those aren't really big factors, but they also would, would hurt the UK on the margin. I know back in the States you're keen to, to preserve your, your non-partisan position in the RAND Corporation, and here you made it pretty clear already that you're not taking sides in the, no. in the Brexit debate. You assume the, the sake of Absolutely argument that not. the UK it's is the leaving. British decision. But do you have any, have that said, do you have any, as we are about to, uh, uh, we're on the verge of moving to so-called phase two of the, the Brexit talks, which is literally talking about the transition period leading up to a, some kind of free trade agreement. Do you have any sense, based on your research, of how, how smooth running or how complicated those negotiations will be? And right now, the UK is very time constrained because under the filing under Article 50 of the Lisbon Treaty, there are only two years to come up with some set of, uh, of new relationships. Now, they could be transitional, uh, but that's not a lot of time. You said also one of your scenarios is this idea of a UK-US uh, free trade agreement. It's mm -hmm. obviously been touted more on the UK side than, than perhaps on the US side uh, by Mrs. May, yes. certainly this, uh, this year when she went to see President Trump in the White House. But um, what, what are the likely benefits of a, if there were to be uh, one agreement were to be agreed um, of a UK-US trade well, agreement? Let me start by comparing it uh, from the standpoint of the UK to a trade agreement with the EU. Our numbers calculated on the same basis are that um, a, a, a trade agreement between the UK and the EU is the most important thing that the UK can do. A trade arrangement similar, FTA, so-called free trade agreement, it's not really completely free, but a, a free trade agreement between the UK and the, and the US is maybe 30 or 40 percent less valuable to the UK than uh, uh, doing it with the EU. That said, 
uh, the free, uh, a free trade agreement with the United States would be significantly uh, a significant gain for the UK, but it would not be significant for the US economy, partially because the US, US economy is so large, uh, partially because uh, the UK and the US, while they have deep economic relationships, most of that is not goods trade. Most of that actually is in services and, and so forth. And third, because we assumed that the UK and the US would not be able to cover financial services in any such free trade agreement. That's because of the positions that the US took in the, in the, with respect to TTIP. Uh, and uh, our uh, American concerns about free, uh, free trade and financial services is that our financial services sector is highly regulated and particularly regulated with respect to uh, uh, <coughs> uh, the relationship between banks and customers uh, and brokers and customers. We have very stringent anti-terrorism and anti-money laundering and other kinds of constraints that are key to our system that for which it is very difficult to uh, engage another uh, or, or it is very difficult for the Treasury, the Federal Reserve, to delegate these responsibilities to another entity, even an entity as close as the United States, as the United Kingdom. So, th so that said, you sent that said you sense any appetite or enthusiasm in Washington uh, to embark on some kind of UK-US trade discussion? Yeah, I think as a, right? as a political matter, I think that the president um, and the administration are generally inclined to um, start discussions with the. Uh, the UK on a standard goods uh, uh, free trade agreement. Uh, that said, as a former trade negotiator myself, th between the idea of a political uh, uh, enthusiasm and the details, there is, a, there is a lot of distance. And there are a lot of aspects of American uh, exports that are troublesome in the UK. There are objections on food safety grounds and product safety grounds and a whole lot of other things. Um, uh, and there are some issues that would arise in such an agreement that would complicate the UK's relationship to Europe, which as I mentioned before is much more important to the UK, should be much more important to the UK. For example, there's a small matter of geographical indications, mm -hmm. right? So the EU hat protects feta cheese and, and champagne, uh, champagne <laughs> and uh, Parma ham and all these uh, very specialized products that are linked to geographical areas. Uh, the United States, as a matter of principle, does not accept that concept in that way. And it is very likely that if the uh, UK were to get into a free trade agreement with the United States, the United States would ask would not support protection of European geographical indications. So they would want to be able to sell Wisconsin feta cheese in Birmingham. And that, if the UK agreed to it, would really undermine the UK's mm -hmm. uh, relationship with a far larger and more important to the UK market, the EU. Well, you say in your report that uh, of all the different scenarios, the one that would have the most benefit would be this trilateral UK-EU-US yes, agreement. Yes, for sure. Um, so how, how would, how, well, first of all, how would that work? I mean, is, well, is, is it a relatively new concept to have a three tripartite trade agreement? 
No, I mean, we have a NAFTA with, uh, right. with Mexico and Canada. Tripartite is not that difficult. In fact, the uh, TPP, which was negotiated in the Pacific, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, had 11 partners. Uh, and it's certainly possible. And, and out of those 11 partners, several of them had free trade agreements between themselves. Uh, we had free trade agreements with Australia, of course, with Canada, Mexico, and so forth. So it's possible. Um, I th the way I've been talking about this, this idea of a TTP, a, a new TTIP or a transatlantic marketplace, you'd probably call it something different because mm -hmm. uh, the administrations have changed and TTIP itself has been the subject of protests and objections. Uh, but the way I like to think of it is, we started out by saying, for the UK, just take a, the London's position for the moment, in the UK, uh, a, an agreement, a free trade arrangement, is not as good as a single market by no mm -hmm. means, but. Uh, uh, an arrangement with the, with the EU to cover uh, abolish tariffs on trade and make arrangements for agricultural access, that's the most important thing that they could do. Maybe the second most important partner that they could uh, construct a new trading relationship with the, uh, the EU and an agreement with the U.S. That's pretty good for them. And then the EU and the U.S. actually have uh, take down trade barriers, tariffs, and other kinds of trade barriers between them. And because of the, that, particularly the, the EU-US part, it generates faster growth rates on both sides. And that was the logic behind the TTIP originally, was that it was a non-deficit enhancing or deficit expanding uh, measure to increase growth rates uh, after the recession. And so the, from the UK standpoint, this would be a pretty good deal because they get the benefits of, you know, rather than have to choose between the U.S. or the EU, they would get both on top of each other plus faster growth um, in both of those markets, which would pull uh, their economy uh, along well uh, as well. Well, you made a strong economic case for this tripartite trade deal, but how feasible is it in political terms? Very, very difficult. Very, very difficult. Uh, at present in Washington, the talk is of America first policy. Uh, there is um, a reluctance to uh, enter into new uh, big trade negotiations, and this would be very. This would be the biggest of all. Uh, there, the United States withdrew from TPP, as I mentioned, and um, the uh, uh, the politics of transatlantic relations uh, has been soured by other completely uh, unrelated issues like relative spending in NATO and all these other things. Uh, and here in Europe, uh, I think there's. Uh, there's skepticism of what, what the administration, the U.S. administration's priorities are and where Europe fits in them, and uh, they would be unwilling to take, and it would be a very large political risk to do something like this, um, uh, and especially having so recently tried. Okay. Well, we have to leave it there. Charlie Reese, thank you very much for your time. My pleasure.